Amen. Again, we are so grateful for those that have gone ahead of us and fought the physical battles of this world. And that brings me to a point of discussion this morning that I want to talk about spiritual warfare this morning. Because we are in a battle. We are in a battle whether we like it or not. (laughs) Whether we want to be or not. We are in a battle for our lives every day spiritually. And I want to just consider that form of warfare today. And I want to make sure that we understand that we appreciate the fact of where we're at. Now, the men that served in the battles and the wars previous to this time, or even those that are in war today, they left the safety of their home. They left the the familiar surroundings of their family and their loved ones, and they went to serve in a foreign land. We haven't had any battles on our soil yet, but all of our battles have been on foreign lands, and our men and women have gone and faithfully served that on foreign lands for our benefit here. But this morning, the battle that I want to speak about in our spiritual battle comes home. This is on our native soil. The spiritual battles that you and I face today are not in a foreign land. They are in your heart, and they are in our homes today. And so we need to address and understand clearly who we are in battle with. Our text today tells us some good things. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you may take a look at that and say, how does that fit into a message like today? Well, we're going to wrap it up toward the end. But there's three things here from this text that we're going to talk about. Number one, there's action related in this text in that every knee will bow. That's an action. There's a word that's spoken here and that every tongue will acknowledge or every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then number three, the most important thing is Jesus Christ wins. He wins. We know who wins the battle. Before it even starts, well, it's already started. But we know before it ends who's going to win. So we need to talk about some things today. First, we, need, we need to know who is the enemy Now, maybe we know this, and maybe it's very obvious, but let's talk about it just a little bit here. Who is God's enemy? The Bible calls him Satan, defined in the Hebrew as the adversary. An adversary needs someone to be adversarial with. My dad would often say to me when I was in trouble for fighting, it says that he would always say, it takes two to fight. It takes two to fight. And I would hate it when he would say that because I knew what was coming next. (laughs) But he's so true. It takes two to fight. You can't fight alone. So if Satan is the adversary, by definition, who is he fighting against? He has to fight against something, right? We must understand who and what Satan really is. It's important that we must understand that Satan is not God's equal. Satan is not equal to his adversary. Satan is a created being. He's an angel, created angel that that fell many, many, many years ago. He's a fallen angel that thinks more highly of himself than he ought to. 
<laughs> he's just a braggart. He just thinks he's he just thinks he's the ultimate angel. He thinks he's better than God. Now, certainly angels are more powerful than men. No question about that. Angels are powerful beings. Um, but we need to understand the relationship, though, between God, Satan, and men. We need to know what that relationship is. Even though that God and Satan are not equal, they represent things that are... God represents everything that's good, and Satan represents everything that's evil. Um, so the, he has some influence. And they are adversaries. Even though God is the creator and Satan is the creation, he is still a foe. And he still represents all that is evil in this world and in this universe. Satan is all out against God. He leaves nothing in his bag of tricks. He is 100% totally against God. There is nothing in Satan that has any love for God or any, any kind word for God. He hates God. He, he, he wants to destroy God. He wants to sit in God's place. So there we have God and we have Satan, and now we have mankind. What's our relationship between the two? Well, understand, first of all, that mankind, we are the flagship of God's creation. Mankind is caught in this adversarial battle. We are the pawns, if you will, because we are the... We're the flagship creation, so Satan, knowing that he wants to get at God and knowing that he really can't, even though he's deceived enough to think that he can, but what he does know is that he can get to God's heart through me and you. He's hitting God at God's heart because God made us in his image, and he loves you and I so much that when the devil comes against us, he's coming against God. That's the way he uses us. And we are in the middle of this battle, whether we like it or not. So here's where we are. We have to make a choice. God gave us choices in life, so we choose which side are we on. We're going to be in the battle. We are in the battle no matter what you think. Now the choice is we have, am I on God's side or am I on Satan's side? Am I on the Creator's side or am I on the fallen creation side? You know, when it's said like that, it's so obvious. Why would we not be on God's side? 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 10, and this is in a contemporary English version translation that says this. Children, don't be fooled. Anyone who does right is good, just like Christ himself. Anyone who keeps on sinning belongs to the devil. He has sinned from the beginning, but the Son of God came to destroy all that he has done. God's children cannot keep on being sinful. His life-giving power lives in them and makes them his children so that they cannot keep on sinning. You can tell God's children from the devil's children because those who belong to the devil refuse to do right or to love each other. So there it is right from God's word. We are either a child of God or we are a child of the devil. But there is no, there's no middle ground here. There is no inner ground. Now, I know that in the world of physical battles, there are pacifists, people that say, I'm not going to take a side, people that refuse to go to battle, that, 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 don't, that will flee to another country or whatever to escape the draft or to escape the 
their obligation. Thank God we have warriors here in our congregation that didn't do that. Thank God we have men and women that are willing to go to battle for us. Can I tell you, in a spiritual battle, there is no such thing as a pacifist. There is no one here that can take that position and say, I'm not going to get in this battle, God. I'm taking myself out of it. Do you know you can't do that? It's impossible to do that. You are in the battle whether you want to be or not. The question is, whose side are you on? 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who sins break God, breaks God's law because sin is the same as breaking God's law. And then Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we claim to be, well, be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But then he goes right back to verse 10. He's got to make his point again. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And then Colossians tells us that even if we don't want to be in the battle, we don't have a choice. Colossians 1.21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good of a life you've lived to this point in time. If Jesus Christ isn't at the center point of your life, if he hasn't forgiven you of your sins, you are an enemy of God. That's the battle lines that have been drawn, and we can't change it. We can't do anything about that. But then it gets even worse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. I think this, along with the passage in Matthew chapter 7, that talks about those that enter into the kingdom of heaven, and God says, I don't know who you are. I think this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So let me ask you a question. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Are you on Satan's side or are you on God's side? The sooner that we understand this, the sooner that we understand the fact that we are in a battle and that we don't have a choice in the matter, now the choice we have is whose side are we on. The sooner we understand that, the sooner we can choose to be on the winning side. Because we can choose to be on the winning side today. You can choose to have this message be as an encouragement to you and to, and, to, and to spur you on. Romans 5.10, For if we, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Wow, we have opportunity to be saved. So why would man choose to stay on the losing side? Why? All right, now. Now that we've understood the fact that we have a battle, we have a choice to make, let's say you made the choice to be on the winning side. All right, now, how do we fight the battle? 
How do we go into tomorrow? How do we do this? How do we physically fight a spiritual battle? Because we're physical people, aren't we? So what do we do? How do we do this? How do we apply this? Well, Paul gives us some instruction in Ephesians. He instructs the believers in, in the church in Ephesus to how to do this. And so let's read probably a very familiar verse passage to all of us. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 13. We'll start there. Finally, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So right there, we're told again who our adversary is. Our adversary is not people. It's not flesh and blood. It's not someone at the grocery store that cut me off in the line. It's not somebody that, you know, cut me off when I was driving to church this morning. It's not my boss at work. It's not my wife. It's not my brother, my sister. It's not flesh and blood. The adversary is a spiritual being called the devil. All right? Now, so get that straight. Therefore, on verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Now, that sounds pretty good, but let's get into some more details. Verses 14 through 18 tells us a little bit more. It says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So I just read a list of spiritual uh, battle instructions. But I don't relate to a lot of this. Do you? Maybe if we were living in the day of when this was written, that we could understand more the armor that he's talking about. I don't know what a belt of truth is. I don't know what a breastplate of righteousness is. I don't know what it means necessarily some of the figurative speech because I didn't know what a Roman soldier looked like. But it was, to them, it was very impactful because they knew when they walked down their streets of Jerusalem and they saw Roman soldiers dressed for armor and dressed for battle, they could associate this armor with something that was strong and powerful and effective. I don't get it because I don't associate with that. I'm not of that mentality. But what I want to talk about this morning is not necessarily the armor, not necessarily the significance of all it means, but what I want to stress this morning is where the armor was put. Because when I look at our warfare today, we have to understand more about our adversary. The warfare, the armor that was put, was put on a man, on the outside of the man. The belt of truth this morning, and I'll tell you why that's important in a minute, but let's just go on here. The belt of truth, what does that mean to me? It means that I am being truthful daily. It means that I am keeping my life from little lies and little bits of deception. It means that I'm not allowing the devil to come in and give me any hint of sin. 
uh, we're instructed in Ephesians 5.3, but among you there must not even be a hint. What's a hint? <laughs> What's a hint? A whisper. Thank you. Something small. And something that, might, that somebody might perceive as being true. Perception is reality in the life of many people. Hints can be perceptions of reality that aren't true. So we are to keep our life pure from any hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Any kind of impurity covers it all. Anything impure, anything impure, we need to keep our life from even a hint of it, of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So the belt of truth today means to me that I keep my life truthful, that I don't allow myself to tell willing, willful lies or stretch the truth, that I try my best. Key words, try my best to keep my life pure in truth. Breastplate of righteousness, an outwardly righteous daily walk with holy conviction, keeping us from the temptations that would diminish our Christ-likeness and add hindrances to our life. See, not everything in life is sin that causes me not to serve Christ. There are a lot of hindrances that come my way. And when I keep the breastplate of righteousness in my place, what I'm saying is, God, I want to be right before you. I want to be righteous in my standing before you. And I don't want any hindrance to come into my life that could take me away from that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Not everything you do that takes you from God is sin. Busyness in my job is not sin. Busyness of life is not sin necessarily, but it can be a hindrance to my priorities of God. Number three, having our feet fitted with the gospel of peace means that we are a worker of compassion and understanding rather than a worker of contention and strife. That every place I put my foot, I am trying to bring peace and resolution to the situation, not added conflict and turmoil. How many times can we walk into situations and either be tender, either be kindling, or be a fire extinguisher? Many times we walk in as kindling and we just make the, the, the situation worse because of our actions and because of our words. Rather, we should go in as a fire extinguisher, as a fireman, and put the fire out. The shield of faith that snuffs out the flaming arrows of the evil one is evidence that we aren't easily shaken when things don't go our way and we find ourselves being tested. You are going to be tested. Do you understand that? You're in battle. You are going to be tested. And when I have the shield of faith in place, what that does is when the enemy throws his fiery darts at me, that that shield of faith, which at that time could have been a heavy leather shield soaked in water, the shield would, would extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. When I put that shield on today, it's saying that I'm trusting God more than I'm being afraid of my enemy because I'm protected because of the shield of faith. And therefore, I know that I will win and I will bring glory to God's name in the process. Helmet of salvation and outward physical declaration that our salvation is not in question ever 
Never will I have to question my salvation when I'm saved in Jesus Christ. When I've said, Jesus, be my Savior, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about the accusations and from that come from the devil, who is the accuser. And when he brings me accusations and say, I'm not saved, I can say, devil, I have the helmet of salvation on, and I know for a fact that I am saved by God's word and by God's blood, and therefore you have no effect over me. The sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, is our only offensive weapon. Everything else is, is defensive. Everything else allows me to stand. The sword of the Spirit is, that, is my aggression that I can use against the enemy. And it's important that we know that our combat lies in, a, in the truth of God's word. It doesn't lie in my perception of the truth of God's word. It doesn't lie in what I want it to say. It lies in the truth of God's word, and with that I have a sword to combat the enemy because of his deception and his lies. I say, no, devil, that's not true. My, my weapon is the truth of God's word. And then number three, I pray in the spirit on all occasions. We use our words to proclaim our position in Christ so that the enemy always knows where we stand. No confusion there. There's never an occasion that I would compromise and give in to a secret agenda or a thought process as I pray continually. As I constantly keep myself in the spirit in prayer that the devil knows where I stand all the time. No confusion there. And I think it's important that we understand a little bit about the armor and why now is it placed on the outside of a person? Well, because... The battleground, the battleground with Satan is not always where we think it is. Sometimes we think the battleground is limited to our minds and our hearts. But we have to understand truly who our adversary is. Our words, Janine spoke about our words a couple weeks ago on Mother's Day. and gave a great message on our words and how important our words are. Our words are extremely important when we, have to, when we get into warfare, knowing what our enemy's limitations are. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So let me give you an example. Quite often, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I don't go to sleep well after that. And what happened, maybe it's just old age, I don't know, maybe, the, maybe that's part of it, but a lot of it comes with spiritual warfare. I tend to get most of my spiritual warfare about three in the morning, and it typically hits me at about then, and I just have a struggle with that. And, and I've learned some things as I've battled this. But we have to go back, first of all, and let's redefine, let's, let's look again at who Satan is and what he can do so that I know how to battle when I get into warfare. First of all, understand that when we speak of Satan, Satan is not an equal of God. In other words, he is not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, and he's not omnipresent. He is one place at one time. So in great reality, I would say 100%, I have never faced Satan. Satan has got much bigger fish to fry than me. All right, so he's not here. Satan is not here. Satan is not a part of your life. However, Satan has many fallen angels that came along with him 
that are called demons today. And those demons are the ones that we face. Those are the ones that battle us in the name of Satan. There's a great hierarchy of battleground there. Satan is a very good general, and he's got a very organized army that he disseminates throughout the world and the universe and his demons to do his work. And he's somewhere else, doing something else, working on some other person that's more important than any of us. But these demons, though, what is their sphere of influence on me? I think sometimes we give them too much credit for what they really can do. They're really not as all-powerful as they think they are. Again, they're not, omni- om- they're not omniscient, meaning that they don't know all things. Only God is all-knowing. They're not omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. They're limited in their power. And they're not omnipresent, meaning they can't be in all places at all time. Only God is that. Only God is, are, uh, makes up those three a- uh, attributes. Rather, we're dealing with a bunch of deceptive little creatures that would have us thinking they are much more than who they are and what they are. They're just little creatures that God has created that have fallen and have gotten ugly. They're ugly, there's no question about it. If I've never seen one. I don't want to see one. I've seen them in movies. I've seen them in books. You know, I, I loved um, Frank Peretti's books, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. I, I love that kind of reading. It's very entertaining for me and very enlightening for me. I think I get a lot of spiritual insights in some of those things. And demons are ugly. So with this stated, where is the battleground? Now, going back to my example, in my, in my sleeplessness at night, I would find myself quite often in those battlegrounds, in the battle time, where I would be praying in my mind, recognizing that my wife is sleeping next to me, and I didn't want to wake her up, so I just pray, and I rebuke the devil in my, in my mind. And I never really felt any th- relief. And I'm thinking, why? What's going on here? And then I started to realize... The devil is not in my mind. Satan and the demons, they're not in my They can't know what I'm thinking. They don't know what I'm thinking until I speak it. Until I speak the words, do they have a clue what's going on in my mind? So I cannot sit there in my quiet times and rebuke the devil and think anything's going to happen. Now, I can pray to God, and God hears my prayers, and he can send angels to my behalf and my benefit, and he does, thank God, he does do that. He can release the angels. In fact, it's not my words that defeats the devil anyways. It's God hearing my words, and then God's disseminating the angels on my behalf to defeat my foe. It's not me as a man. It's my relationship with God that says I am a child of God, and he hears the call and the cry of his children, and he says, Mike, I see you, and I've got help on the way. Hang in there, I'm coming. That's how, it, that's how you win it. But my battle, though, with Satan, though, I have to let him know where I stand. He, he needs to know where my position is. A battle fought where the enemy isn't is a wasted battle. An enemy fought where the enemy isn't is a wasted battle. I can spend a lot of time and a lot of energy battling away, and there's no enemy there. Because he's not hearing it. He's not affected by what I think. That's why our words and our actions are so powerful. That's why what I speak and what I do is so powerful because that's what the enemy sees. Now, I do believe, and I think Bible, I think Scripture backs this up, that he can influence our mind. I think the, the, the demons and the, and the demonic influences can actually, if a, can actually possess a person, can actually get in and control the person, but they certainly can, at the same time, 
even Christians, they can plant thoughts, I believe. I don't think they can possess, but they certainly can hinder. They certainly can, they certainly can clamp on to you. If, you have any, if you've given the devil a foothold, he'll take it. If you have anger at night, you've given him a foothold. That's what the Bible says. If you give him a foothold, even as a Christian, he'll take it. So the battle now has to be taken into the battleground where the enemy is, not where he's not. So going to my example, I have to get out of bed, and I have to walk into the living room, and I have to rebuke the devil. I don't want to wake up my wife, so I get out of bed, and I go to the living room, have a glass of milk, and I say, devil, in the name of Jesus, leave me alone. You have no authority in my home. You have no authority here. So now, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And I go back to bed. And I try to go back to sleep. So, the devil cannot afflict me in that way. So our words and our actions are so powerful. What are the power of words? What are the power of words? Wow. Jesus is a good example of this. In the desert, as he was being tested by Satan before he went into ministry... Jesus, the devil came to him three times, and, and every time he tempted Jesus. And Jesus, how did Jesus answer? Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Men, we live on words. We defeat the enemy with the words of God. God's word are the ultimate power. Even as a creation, we're created in the image of God, and we have words that we can use, but God's word is the ultimate power. So when it comes to spiritual warfare, whether we're praying or worshiping, it's imperative that we speak the word. It's imperative, quiet person, that you get out of your comfort zone a little bit. It's imperative that you use your words in battle so that the devil knows exactly where you stand because he cannot read your mind That's why the devil wants to keep us quiet. That's why he doesn't want us to come into church and get rambunctious before the Lord. That's why he wants to make church a somber, quiet, very very um, serious event where we can't talk in church. When we talk, we defeat the enemy. And when you're quiet, he wins. Because he can't, you can't rebuke him in your mind. You must speak the word. You must tell him what side you're on. You must tell him who you are in Christ. You must tell him what, how you're going to defeat him. You must explain to him that you have authority over him by the blood of Christ. Words are very important. The enemy knows where, where he stands when the mouth speaks. And the words come from the man's heart. Luke 6.45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You make yourself known to the enemy by what you speak. And if you aren't true to that, he knows that too. Very important. Power of actions. After the words come the actions. The old sayings are, talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. And here's a great one. Preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. In other words, your actions really do matter here, right? And all these re- actions, they're, they're all related in powerful ways to how we combat against the enemy. James 2.17 tells us very clearly in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I can have the best intention in my mind. I can be the best. I can have all the doctrine straight away. I can have it all figured out in my mind. But if I don't put action to it, it's dead. A salt shaker full of salt is useless. 
until you spread the salt. Until you shake the salt out of the shaker, it doesn't flavor the food. It sits there, and it's useless because you're not, you haven't shaken it up. Actions are so important. And here's the thing. When the demons look at us, because they can't look read our mind, how do they know about us then? See, they're observing our actions. They're listening to our words. They know if they've hit the hot button by our action. They know if they've got me frustrated because how I act towards them. And not until I act do they know. So that's why my actions and my words are so important because if I start speaking words that tell them they're winning, guess what? They keep pouring it on. You think they're ever going to back off? No, they'll keep coming at you all worse and worse. So my words and my actions are defeating the enemy because I'm not allowing him to push my buttons. And we all have buttons to be pushed, don't we? And he knows them because he's been observing you all your life. I believe like we have guardian angels over us. I believe that Satan has associated and has appointed demonic angels, demons, to watch my life and to study my behavior. That way he knows where I'm at at any given time and he knows what temptation will work when and where. And it's only as my actions will stand against him and my words are consistent with my actions am I going to defeat him. So we have to be able to prove our actions with love and obedience. James chapter 4, verse 7, gives us the plan that God has to defeat the enemy. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Very simple little verse. Submit, resist, and he'll flee. Submit. Go home today. Submit. How easy is it? (laughs) Sounds easy, but guys, it's not easy. Otherwise, it wouldn't be such a battle for us to submit. What does it mean to submit? It means to lay it all on the line for Jesus. It means to give it all to him and not hold anything back that you want to have your pet little sins or your pet little things that you want to protect that are fun for you but aren't really godly. It's called holy conviction. It's called understanding that, God, I want to give you all of my life, and I'm truly going to make you the center point of my life, and I'm going to slay everything else along with it, and I'm going to submit it and surrender it to you, and then, only then, will my resisting the devil work. I can't submit partially and expect to win the battle when the devil knows it. He knows when I've submitted to God. He sees my life line up. If there's apples under the tree, guess what? It's an apple tree. Very obvious. The fruit of your life is pretty obvious to the Satan, to, to the devil too. It's pretty obvious. If he's not seeing fruit of a Christian life, then he's not really seeing that the, the battleground is not being played where you can win, necessarily. Submit means to, de- to succumb, defer to, give in, to yield, to give up. And only as we are able to do that can we really finish the plan that God has laid out for us. That takes us back to our text. Action and words. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Listen, your knee's going to bow sooner than later. Why not make it sooner? Why not just say, come now and say, Jesus, I submit to you now. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under heaven. There is no man that's going to escape that. 
And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus wins, and you can too. You can too if you'll only submit yourself to God. Jackie, if you'd come and start playing. So what do we do from here? Where, where do we go, and what's the result of it all? There is a reason that all people need to be expressive before the Lord. Yes, there are times of quiet solitude. There are times when it can be just me and God in my mind, and I'm just praising the Lord. And I have those times, and those are awesome times. But there are times of warfare that it is required that I lift my voice. Go read Psalms. Go read many of the Psalms and how the psalmist cried out to the Lord and just declared things to the Lord. He didn't just keep it in his mind. He was bold with his declarations. He was bold with his crying out to the Lord, and he wasn't afraid to admit it. We have a problem with American Christianity where men are men, and we're too tough to do that, and that is a trick of the devil because when we stay quiet, he wins. When I can't raise my voice to the Lord and cry out in in honesty and frustration and in hunger for the Lord, then the devil doesn't know where I'm at, and therefore I am not battling him on the battleground that wins. 2 Samuel 20, verse 12 through 15. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obadiah to the city of David with rejoicing. With, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, which is basically his knickers, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, let me tell you, that day, Satan knew where he stood. Because of David's outward expression and because of the joy in his heart, because God had delivered them, delivered the ark back into their presence, Satan knew that he was defeated that day. Satan knew because of David's actions. Let me ask you this morning, Christian man, Christian woman, have your actions ever shown Satan where you stand? Have you ever declared before him through your words and your actions whose side you're on? Where are we in our warfare this morning? Does the devil really know? Does the devil know that you're all out for Jesus? So when we have worship services and we have people that wave flags and we have people that stand up and wave their hands and wave their arms and and shout out to the Lord. That's not about them. If it is, it's wrong. It's about declaring to the enemy, what side am I on? Declaring to the enemy that I'm on the victory side, and I'm not afraid to show it. And I'm not afraid to express my expression, my feelings, and my passion for that. So this morning, as we prepare to go to our homes today, I, I just want to challenge you and encourage you to keep on keeping on. Keep on with your expression. Keep, keep going with it. Don't, be, don't allow the devil to shut you up. Don't be a valley of dry bones, as Rip gave us a good word this morning on. Allow the breath of Lord, 
of the Lord to be declared in your life so that you can live and you can be victorious and you can fight the battle that we're in and that we will be victorious on that day. Amen? Yeah, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand with me if you would? Let's pray for a minute, then we're going to sing. Jesus, we just come before you. We're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for what you mean to us. And Lord, I stand right now in declaration saying that I am your man and I am serving you to the best of my ability. Yes, I'm going to fall down, Jesus, but you know that. But I am I'm rising myself. I'm raising my hand this morning, and I'm saying I am on your side, devil. Do you understand that? I am on the side of God. I am on the victor's side, and you have nothing. You have no authority on my life, and you have no authority in this church, and you have no authority in the lives that will rise up to say that in Jesus' name. We give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. we just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the promise that we have. And Lord, as we go to our homes and we go throughout our day today, God, we just go rejoicing and and holding you up. God, I pray victory in our hearts. I pray victory, Jesus, and I just pray that you'd bless us and God, give us that as we go throughout this day. We thank you, Jesus. Be blessed. Be blessed in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.